Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland startup and small business podcast from Portland Radio Project. I'm PRPFM co-founder Rebecca Webb. It goes without saying that climate change is now a part of our lives as rising sea levels, storms, and other consequences of high carbon economies take their toll on the environment. But Portland faces a unique set of climate challenges and has a unique opportunity to respond. We'll talk through those challenges and responses today with our panel. Heidi Sickert joins us from Portland Community College, where she teaches a course about eco-innovation and social entrepreneurship. She's also an independent consultant and chair of the college's Sustainability Practices for Academics and Resources Council. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And Sam Perdue is the CEO and founder of Indo Windows, a local window insert manufacturer that's also a member of the Oregon Business Alliance for Climate, a climate policy advocacy group. Welcome back, Sam. Thank you. It's great to be back here on the Portland Radio Project. But first, Biz 503 producer Kobe Hutzler visited Jana Gastelum at the Oregon Environmental Council, an environmental membership organization. She's the council's program director for climate. And they talked about the threats Portland faces from climate change and how businesses, large and small, can do their part to fight it. Today on Biz 503, I'm joined by Jana Gastelum. She's the Climate Program Director at the Oregon Environmental Council. Jana, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start by asking you about the global warming challenges that Portland faces. Because when, when you think about global warming, you often think about things like Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico and how the forests got destroyed, how response and rebuilding have been kind of slow and people were without power for a long time. But we don't get hurricanes here. So what kinds of challenges is Portland going to face um, from global warming? Yeah, well, unfortunately, there's no corner of the earth that isn't going to be impacted by climate change in one way or another. Here in Portland, um, in the coming decades, we could have as many extreme heat days as Texas has now. And I don't think people think of Portland as the next Texas, but that's the path we're on. And more hotter weather, extreme temperature um, means more um, poor air quality in the future. It means um, worse impacts for outdoor workers. It also means, unfortunately, that you know elderly and sick people could um, even die. And so we have to be really mindful of what climate change impacts will mean for our area. Um, we certainly saw last summer that the wildfires really impacted the air quality in Portland and throughout the state. And it really felt like climate impacts were really at our own doorstep. So how does the Oregon Environmental Council work to combat these changes? Oregon Environmental Council is a statewide environmental membership-based nonprofit. And we work on statewide policies to tackle some of the big challenges that our state faces, like climate change. We support initiatives that get more energy efficiency into homes and businesses, more renewable energy and clean, carbon-free energy that can serve people in the state. And we're working right now to really put enforceable limits on climate pollution. And really, Oregon should be and can be and has been a leader in all of these areas. What's probably the most promising area you're working in right now of those that you've just described? Yeah, we're really excited about our latest campaign. It's called the Clean Energy Jobs Bill. 
And what it does is it puts real enforceable limits in place or a cap in place on our climate pollution. And what that does is basically creates a carbon budget for the state. We've often talked about, you know, if your doctor tells you that you're at risk of a heart attack um, and you need to lose weight, doesn't just send you out with some vague notion of what that is. Usually say, within the next three months, I need you to lose five pounds. And over the next two years, you need to lose 10 pounds. And so that cap on climate pollution is similar. It's what we need to do to be safe and safeguard our climate and avoid the worst risks of climate impacts. In doing work like this and advancing these policies and these initiatives, how do you gauge success? How do you know when it's worked? Well, we believe that good policy in the state should be supported by a lot of different types of stakeholders. So we work in coalition and we look to see support from public health officials and the business community, from people who care about labor standards and communities who are on the front lines of the environmental impacts that we see. So we look for broad support, and we're happy to see that things like the Clean Energy Jobs Bill had that type of broad support. But ultimately, we want to see real meaningful change on the ground. So this last legislative session, twenty well, previous one, 2017, we worked on a transportation package that's going to result in more funding for transit, so that gets more people to work in a cleaner, more efficient way, more funding for bike and pedestrian safety, and then incentives for electric vehicles, because ultimately we want to see that transformation in our communities so that they're healthier and more efficient. Are there any benefits to doing work like this here at the state and local level compared to, say, like the federal level? Absolutely. Statewide work um, has become more important than ever. We're seeing right now at the federal level that there are rollbacks to climate commitments um, that were really historic in their making. Um, and so everyone is really looking to states for leadership on climate issues and a whole variety of other issues. So in Oregon, again, we have sort of a legacy and a history of working collaboratively on solving big problems, whether it was beach litter and the, the bottle bill that was passed or preserving public access to open spaces. So we know it's something that we have done and it's something we can do. And I guarantee that if Oregon does something significant on climate, it will open the door for many other states to follow. Are there other states in positions like Oregon's? There are other states. Um, we're part of a region here along the West Coast and the Pacific Coast where there's a block of states that want to try and work together. Um, California, Quebec, and Ontario have similar programs in place to what we hope Oregon will adopt in the next legislative session. But there's lots of states who do energy efficiency work or have commitments to renewables, but not many that have those overall speed limits on climate pollution that we want. Since Donald Trump was elected to the presidency in November of 2016, there have been marches, there have been voter registration drives, there have, there's been what I'd describe as a surge in political engagement and activism. Has that bled over into your work here at the OEC? We have seen tremendous citizen engagement since the 2016 election. I personally, following that election, um, participated in an event at Revolutionary Hall where people came um, to really get connected to one another and to organizations that were doing all sorts of community work, whether it was environmental work, social justice work, immigrants' rights work. 
Um, and I have never seen so many people ready to engage, to volunteer, to donate, to come to Salem and testify. Um, this last legislative session in 2018, uh, we and our partners put on a climate lobby day and the legislators said that it is the largest citizen lobby day that they've seen on any issue in decades. People are hungry for positive change, and this is a great time to get engaged. So keeping in mind all of that political activism and that, that hunger you described, what are some of the bigger obstacles that this work faces? Probably the biggest challenge we face is making sure that climate change remains at the top of the priority list. There's a lot of need and there's a lot of chaos right now at the federal level. But with an issue like climate change, we have to make progress now or we reach a tipping point. And so we really need to see courageous leadership on this issue and a long-term commitment and dedication. We need to be able to balance um, our action on climate change with a lot of other things, but really make sure that we're making the progress that we need right now. And in doing that, we really help safeguard things like food systems. So people who care about food security win when we win on the climate. Um, it helps improve health. And so there's a way to support all these other issue areas by making strides on climate change as well. So it's all related. It's all related. So we've talked about a groundswell of popular support for change. I'd like to bring us around to businesses. What can larger businesses do that want to use some of their horsepower to contribute to these changes? Large businesses are really important in climate work. So first of all, large businesses um, do a lot of purchasing. So they can look at their own purchasing habits and look at what's the climate smart way to do this, not only in my own operations, but throughout my supply chain. And we certainly see some large businesses do incredible things around energy efficiency, um, commitments to renewable energy. But probably the biggest thing that large businesses can do is lend their voice to asking for meaningful change. There is a segment of the business community that says, let's wait, let's go slow, let's even roll back some of the commitments we've made. And we need large businesses that care about climate to stand up, weigh in on meaningful legislation, and call for real action and real change. And even really be a voice for change within your own industry associations as well. And what can smaller businesses and startups do on that front? They don't have quite the purchasing power in a lot of in a lot of cases as some larger businesses. Um, what can they do? Well, small businesses and startups are critical because they exist in every community around the state. They employ more people, um, again, throughout the state. And small businesses really have, you know, community connections. So small businesses can also look for energy savings in their own operations, link up with the energy trust of Oregon, find incentives that make it work. They can also lend their voice to legislative campaigns, show up and testify or encourage their employees to do the same, write a letter to the editor or an op-ed. And then they can also encourage their workforce to have you know, sustainable practices, whether it's taking transit to work or biking. And one of the things that I think is actually really neat about small businesses is how integrated they are into their own communities. And one of the things that I think is really inspiring a lot of people is the youth movement right now calling for change on a whole variety of issues. And young people care tremendously about climate change. This is the future they're inheriting. 
So small businesses, you could sponsor a high school environment club, help them do great work and be voices for change as well. What happens if businesses don't act? If businesses don't act on climate change, I think there are two consequences. One are climate impacts themselves. And climate impacts have a real impact on the bottom line. Supply chains get disrupted around the world. It makes production more expensive if we don't act on climate change. But we also risk being left behind. We know the world is trending towards clean energy and clean economic development, and there's a lot of benefits to be obtained from that. We've seen in neighboring states like California, where they have real commitments to climate change, that they've seen tremendous growth in the investment that they attract to their state from clean economy investors. We want that same economic opportunity here in Oregon. We don't want to be left behind. So we need to act and show that leadership. What benefits businesses if they do decide that they want to act? What's, what's in it for them? If businesses do act, I think there are a number of benefits. The first is if you green your own operations, you often see a lot of cost savings. So anytime you reduce energy use, that's a dollar that you don't spend on energy. You can spend it on something else more productive. But I would say that even more than that is that I think consumers and especially young consumers more and more want to spend their dollars on businesses that match their values and again, young consumers really care about climate. They care about social justice, and they want to see that their businesses are representing that. So I think businesses, when they take action, they should do it in a way that gets some visibility, that moves their community, um, not just their business community, but influences other people in their communities as well. And I think they'll be rewarded for it. Excellent. Anything else you want to mention that I haven't asked you about? Well, there are a couple of other ways that businesses can get engaged. Um, there's some business associations that are really supporting change. If you are a large, medium, or even small business, there is the Oregon Business Alliance for Climate, and they're supporting good policy down in Salem. For smaller businesses, there are also groups like the Main Street Alliance, and they represent small businesses because not everyone can get away during a three o'clock hearing. And so to have a voice that represents you in Salem on these issues is really important. And then, of course, you can find organizations like the Oregon Environmental Council. We're membership-based as well, um, and we can help alert people to opportunities to get engaged. Excellent. Well, Jana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, and thanks to your listeners. That was Jana Gastelum. She's the Climate Program Director at the Oregon Environmental Council. And that was Kobe Hutzler, who produces Biz 503. Really a good interview back in the studio here with Heidi Sickert, who is a teacher of social entrepreneurship at PCC. Heidi, she talked about the importance of large businesses simply because of their footprint in anything they do. Can you give us an example of some large businesses that have made a difference? There are several, Rebecca. When I think of one of the founding large businesses that has really had both a national and an international impact on how businesses operate, it's Interface. Uh, they're based in Georgia, and uh, they manufacture carpeting. And carpeting is a petroleum-based product. It's highly polluting, and it goes into buildings. Everybody has buildings. Everybody has carpet. Well, they went through a process a little over 10 years ago of completely re-engineering how they make their carpets, what they make it from, and then they also instituted what's called a product stewardship program. So they sell their carpets as tiles, and they take them back, and they completely you know, reuse them, put them back into the manufacturing mm. process. 
Paul Hawken um, uh, was one of, you know, who's written several books, talked a lot about the work that Interface has done. And then their their founder, Ray Anderson, has done TED Talks and written some books as well. And they showed how a really large company can have a significant impact. All right. After a break, we're going to learn more from Heidi and also hear from an owner of one of those crucial small businesses in a moment. Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz503. We're talking today about how businesses can do their part to help combat climate change. Joining us, Heidi Sickert from Portland Community College and Sam Pardue of Indo Windows. And thank you very much both for being with us. Great thank to be you. here. Heidi, can you describe for our listeners the course that you teach at PCC? So I teach a, a new business course called Eco-Innovation and Social Entrepreneurship. And essentially, we dig into how local, national, and international businesses are using market-based strategies to solve economic disparities and social environmental justice issues. This is what we call the triple bottom line impacts. So that affect people, the planet, and prosperity. Well, that sounds very desirable. And and I just wonder if you could sort of define eco-innovation and sustainable business, because those are catchwords, but what do they really mean? So this is about how do the problems that we're experiencing, like gentrification in inner uh, North Portland neighborhoods, disappearing coastlines on the Oregon coast, or the prevalence of high childhood asthma rates, how do these inspire innovative business solutions and strategies? One of the examples that we talk about in our class is organic farming. It has multiple positive impacts, and not just for the people who work on the farm and the local communities, air and water, but for the people who buy it. But it costs a lot more. Well, enter Imperfect Produce, this innovative new company that says, hey, our produce isn't beautiful, but it's so much healthier, and then we'll sell it to you at a significantly reduced cost and deliver it to your homes. So for these businesses and organizations, it's really about strategizing where do we have the largest negative impacts and how can we innovate to turn these into our greatest assets? Hmm. And how do the atmosphere in businesses change as a result when they adopt some of these initiatives? Is there an impact, for example, on their workplace and how invested the employees are? Absolutely. These companies, you know, when they take on very mission-focused strategies around uh, sustainability or social entrepreneurship, they're able, you know, within a year or less to recruit the top talent in their fields because people want to work for these companies who are making a difference. Also, you see employees and consumers, and I would argue that particularly Gen Xers and millennials Uh, are voting with their dollars. So they're looking for companies who are standing behind what they say they're doing, and then they purchase those goods. So these companies are increasingly, you know, doing then better because of these investments and the increase in sales. And I bet they get some feedback from customers, which we'll ask Sam more about in a minute. Absolutely. Is there anything, though, that might stop companies from pursuing uh, climate conscious actions? It seems that's in all of our best interest for them to do so. What are the barriers for business? 
Well, like any business, a social enterprise has to be successful. They've got to have a good plan and they've got to be scalable, which means that they have to be able to grow and expand. But um, there aren't the same incentives in place. I mean, we've seen some real progress with incentives, especially like in the energy efficiency sector, spent several years working in that sector. But there's so much more that could be done to support businesses and renewables green chemistry, organic farming, green building, you know, all these different areas in green building and sustainable design. There's also a whole new sector of like reusable products, product stewardship, and what's called collaborative consumption. So, so many more incentives and investments could be made. And and it's great to hear that OEC is doing a clean energy jobs bill. I mean, that's one step in the right direction. So it sounds like a lot of things are being done. And I think a lot of businesses also are greenwashing <laughs> and kind of making it seem like they're getting on board. How can we know when a company is making meaningful change? I think sometimes it can take, you know, a lot of work on the consumer's part. I mean, if you're willing to go and look at, do they have, you know, a sustainability plan? Do they have a climate action plan that they publish? Um, what kind of eco labels, what kind of business associations are they a part of and what are they doing? Sometimes it can take a little bit of work or you've got to read articles uh, and look there is still a lot of greenwashing that happens. You know, some marketing professionals are very good at doing the greenwashing. So I think you have to really look for verifiable um, statements that are made by people other than the company itself. So I want to close by coming back to your PCC course. How do students react? And can you tell us about their level of excitement? Frankly, teaching this course gives back a lot more to me and the community, I think, than, than sometimes I feel that it gives to the students. Students at PCC come from very diverse uh, backgrounds, ages, uh, cultural backgrounds, and career levels. I've seen students, you know, who have changed their career paths or their academic study focus because of this and other sustainability courses that we teach at PCC. Um, I've also seen them take action in their workplace based on something that they've become very passionate about. I currently have a student who uh, was working at a, a local you know, grocery store, and she wanted to see how could they give away food that they're throwing away and give it to students you know, through our food pantries. I mean, and that's just a small example. I think that you know, students who participate in this course get involved uh, through field trips and guest speakers with our local community, and they really get introduced into the industry so that they can find opportunities, and I help facilitate internships and stuff like that so students you know, know where they could really fit in. I can see how that would be very inspiring. Thank you so much for that. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Sam Pardue about putting climate smart practices in at Endo Windows after a short break. Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz503. We're here with Sam Pardue from Indo Windows and Heidi Sickert from Portland Community College. Thanks very much again for you guys for sticking around. Hey, Sam. When did you first decide that Endo was going to get involved in efforts to combat climate change? Was there a sort of a light bulb moment? Well, actually, uh, Endo's involvement with climate comes from the very, very beginning of the company, even the invention of the product. Uh, at the time, I invented the Endo window insert along with my friend Mark Pratt. I was very happy serving as the 
CEO and co-founder of Lensbaby, which is an amazing manufacturer of special effects camera lenses. And I had the best job in the world. But uh, I came up with the idea to solve the energy loss in my own home, primarily because I, as an individual, am deeply concerned about climate change. Once uh, we invented the product, it was almost like I felt an obligation to start the company to market it because I learned uh, that buildings are the number one consumers of energy in the United States and windows are one of the biggest sources of energy loss from buildings. And here I had come up with this great idea for my own house that could dramatically reduce its energy footprint. So from the very, very beginning, I've always conceived of Indo as being a for-profit carbon mitigation machine that would help me achieve one of my personal deeply held values around climate, but, you know, try and do it in a way that, you know, as opposed to OEC, we would get all our funding from our customers and uh, just put that money back in to trying to grow the business bigger and block in more carbon. And when did you start? What year? We launched in beta mode in 2010, and we began a national expansion in 2012, and now we sell everywhere in the United States and Canada. Wow. So how is that going? How's business? It's going great. We are growing, and uh, you know, I'm really happy to say that customers are delighted with the product. Uh, we started out, it's always really challenging to start an eco-enterprise of any kind. <laughs> uh, you, you put yourself out there, but uh, the customers have been just very, very happy with the comfort they get and with the energy savings. And also it helps make your space a lot more quiet. So that's a big part of our customer base as well. People nice. that want quieter homes and offices. Give us just an example of one window. If you put one insert in, mm -hmm. what does that do? Well, a single insert is going to reduce the amount of air flowing through your window, almost completely eliminate it. So you no longer have any drafts or any hot air coming through your windows. It will also create a dead air pocket between your original window and the end of window insert. And that creates a great insulator to reduce radiant energy loss. So the net is you get dramatically greater comfort. And when people are more comfortable, they don't reach for the thermostat and they don't turn the thermostat up when it's chilly mm -hmm. outside. And that's why our product saves so much energy. It actually, uh, we've had a study done by the United States Department of Energy and one by Portland State University, which is great. We've done some really nice uh, cooperation with academic institutions. Both showed about 20% energy savings from just installing into window inserts throughout the home. So as a single measure to reduce energy consumption and to reduce your carbon footprint, into window inserts actually do as good a job as very high-end replacement windows, but they cost less and you get to keep your existing windows. Interesting. But of course, any environmental-based business, as you point out, has a challenge in terms of making a profit. Was there ever a time when you thought, I wonder if we're going to make it? Oh, <laughs> Uh, the whole business model of Indo is actually a really challenging one. We're in, we're in a business called mass customization. So every single Indo window insert we make is a unique geometry. And, you know, when I first put prototypes in my home, I thought, oh, what a beautiful, simple product. I mean, our product is just a sheet of acrylic that's edged with our patented compression tube. But the reality is that almost every window frame is out of square. So we had to develop a proprietary laser measuring system that would allow us to make perfectly fitting six by four foot parallelograms and trapezoids and get them to fit almost every single time. And, you know, so that is really, you know, we could have a whole different business segment on kind of uh, challenging business models, but the business model that Indo in is, is a really challenging one. We also have a significant seasonality effect. So when it gets warm out, people stop buying into window inserts as often. I mean, they still buy them for the noise reduction, but 
if people are buying them to block cold drafts, that business really drops off in the summer. And that's a totally different kind of business challenge to have. I can imagine. What are your employees thinking about? I mean, it must make them feel good to work at a place that's doing some good for the environment. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we try to put our company values and our company personality and culture out there, uh, both for the customers to appreciate, but also, you know, when we're out there recruiting and trying to hire new people, we want people to know that we're really concerned about the environment. We want to draw people in that have a cultural affinity and care about this because, you know, if you get employees, you know, they're there for more than just the paycheck, then you're going to end up having a better workforce of more talented people who stick around longer and stick it out through the hard times because mm -hmm. they believe in what they're doing. And I'm really gratified that I think that's the case for many, many of our employees at Endo. Heidi, I can see you nodding and I'm thinking that some of your students at PCC might actually, you know, head over <laughs> to oh, work for welcome Sam. welcome to apply. Absolutely. I'm going to talk to Sam about internships after we're done here. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and is that something that you do in your class, help facilitate the students, the graduates uh, to businesses like Sam's? Uh, we have a very large internship program at the college. So all students are encouraged and some of the programs actually require it. So yes. So Sam, I know that Endo is a member of the Oregon Business Alliance for Climate. And that statewide group is, among other things, seeking to reduce the carbon footprint of Oregon's economy. So I'm wondering what being a member of the alliance involves for you. Well, it can involve uh, as little as just adding your name uh, to their efforts. And I think that's very, very important. Or you can uh, take it farther and go down and lobby the legislature in behalf of the policy objectives that they're putting forward. And I think you can also get involved in kind of what the policy making level is. And, you know, in the past, I have done a testimony at the state legislature. You know, I think it's really important. We live in an era where we have someone who used to play a business executive on TV, uh, now uh, serving as president of the United States. And that makes it so much more important for real business executives to step up and counterweight the the disinformation and falsehoods that are coming out of the White House. So it's extremely urgent that now more than ever for businesses and business leaders to stand up and add their voices to the conversation because um, of what's happening out there. All right, Sam Pardue, CEO and founder of Indo Windows, a local window insert manufacturer that's also a member of the Oregon Business Alliance for Climate. I'm just guessing you would encourage other businesses to uh, go there. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I guess, you know, the key message here is don't wait to act. And, you know, the more we do now, the better off we'll be. All right. Thank you so much. And Heidi Sickert is also with us today, Chair of Portland Community College's Sustainability Practices for Academics and Resources Council. She teaches a course at the college about eco-innovation and social entrepreneurship, where she has inspired many young people along uh, the path. And she's also an independent consultant. Thank you so much both for being here. Thank, thank you. you. Biz 503 is produced by Kobe Hutzler with Carl Lucky and edited by Daniel Lin. It's a production of Portland Radio Project. Big thank you to PRP's podcast coordinator, Nastasia Voisin. I'm Rebecca Webb. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend.